Good morning, everybody. If you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 13 with me this morning. And I will tell you, it is, it's almost an overwhelming joy to be here this morning. So we love Northridge. We have, Thea came back, this is the first time that we've been back in four years. This is the first time for Thea to come back in like seven years. And so we come back and we go to the places that we used to go to and we drive by our old house and we drive by our old apartment. And these places have significance for us. But, but our experience here is not about the places, it's about the people, right? So to think about how many people in this room have had an impact on our lives, our ministry, um, is just absolutely overwhelming. And it's God's grace. So, yeah, so we're going to look at Hebrews 13 this morning. And so let me just begin by thanking you all. Um, just like Rich said, you guys have been with us from, from like before the beginning of our ministry in Africa. And your sacrificial, faithful, loving encouragement and support and prayers, that's what lets us do what God has called us to do. And so it sounds, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's nonetheless true. We can only do what God has called us to do because you all have faithfully done what God has called you to do. And, and so when I was here way a long time ago, we talked about some people are goers, some people are senders. And you guys have been a perfect example of people and a body of Christ, a church that are senders. And you have been faithful. And so I think about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That, is, that's, that has been you all, okay? From the first day until now. And so it is... It is an absolute joy to be with you guys this morning. There's a lot of things that we could talk about with our ministry, but I really just kind of want to preach this morning. I get to preach like once every couple of years in English. And so, um, so I will tell you, our family lives in Dakar, Senegal in West Africa. And so Senegal is a country that's about 95% Muslim. So we live in an overwhelming Muslim context. Uh, our desire is to reach mobilize and equip West Africans for a life of missional service to their neighbors and to the nations. And so they need to be reached. Okay? We live among unreached peoples with little to no access to the gospel, so they need to be reached. But we also want to mobilize them. We want to remind them that they have a place in the Great Commission. And so we want to help them see that and find that place. And then we want to equip them so that they can be the light of the gospel to their neighbors. And we believe that God's going to call some of them to go to the nations. Because the Great Commission is not just for us. The Great Commission is for everyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's our goal. Two of the main ways that we do that, and this is like the last thing I'm going to say about our ministry and everything else is just Bible, okay? The, the two main ways right now that we see God working in our ministry is that we see him establishing Christian radio stations. So five years ago, there were zero Christian radio stations in Senegal. Remember, Senegal is 95% Muslim. So as of today, there are five and we have three more in the works, okay? A way to reach people in their heart language with the good news of the gospel. And then we've also established by God's grace 
a regional training center where we are training nationals from right now over six different countries in our region from some of the hardest places in the world. We're training them so that they can be church planters and pastors and evangelists and leaders. And so we believe that God's calling all of us to do something, to find our place in the Great Commission so that we can touch the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm aware that today is Mother's Day, okay? So... Is you've, you've invited a missionary to come on Mother's Day. So I want to say something to you mothers, uh, some truths from God's Word. You have an important role in the kingdom. You have an important role in society. You guys can impact your families so that your kids understand the gospel and have a heart for the nations. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 28 to 29, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And so mothers, there you have it. Uh, I hope you do that and I hope you live that out. And now we're going to talk about missions and reaching the world with the gospel. Okay. Now that we've kind of exhausted motherhood, but, but let, let me say something that's almost going to sound blasphemous or sacrilegious. Okay. The Bible, God's word has more to say about missions than it does motherhood. A, a lot more. Okay? Now, now, motherhood is incredibly important, okay? and the texts are there, and the examples are there, and you can learn a lot from God's Word about how to be a godly mother, but you crack open the Bible, and missions is absolutely everywhere you look, because God's heart is a heart to be known. Okay? God wants to be known by the peoples of the world, and missions is the vehicle that drives that to the unreached peoples and the unreached places of the world. And so today we're going to talk about missions. Specifically, we're going to talk about sacrifice for the cause of the gospel, sacrifice in missions. And so I have absolutely no idea how this is going to hit you. I have absolutely no idea exactly everything that I'm probably going to say this morning, but I am confident of this. God is going to speak to you this morning by his spirit and through his word because that's what he does, okay? And, and so my prayer for me and my prayer for all of you is that he helps you to find where it is that you fit in his global purposes, okay? Where it is that you fit in his plan to take the light of the gospel into the dark places of the world. So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10 down to verse number 16. So the Bible says, beginning in verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. And verse 13 is so key. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here, here in this life, we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us also continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Let's pray. So, Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to share with this body of Christ this morning. And Lord, I'm struck with the truth that I have absolutely nothing to give them but your word. But also I'm struck with the fact that that's enough. So Lord, we pray this morning in a real, in a supernatural way 
that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit and through your word, because that's what you do. And Lord, that we would leave here changed because we've been with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd use my weakness to display your glory and your majesty and your truth. And that, Lord, you would have your way with us this morning. So glorify your name, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Missions exists because worship does not. Missions, okay, it it exists because there are places in our world today where people do not worship Jesus because the name of Jesus is not known. And, And so missions is taking the light of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, into the dark places of the world so those people who have never heard will have a chance to hear. That's what missions is all about. And the Bible has a lot to say about light and darkness. And if we were to look, we could do a survey all the way through the Old Testament. But one quick passage that says, Psalm 107.10, those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. That is a bad situation to be in. And the majority of our world today sits in that kind of situation, bound in darkness, spiritual darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, a passage that you guys know. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, so, so the enemy has blinded them, so they're in darkness, and they cannot even see or understand the light. But Jesus came to be the light. The Bible tells us, talking about the Messiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, 7, he will come to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Jesus himself said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should no longer abide in darkness. And then we see in Colossians chapter 1, That he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us or he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the only remedy for the spiritual darkness of our world today. Now there's a verse that I cling to in Matthew chapter 24. So if we had more time, we would look at all of these verses. I'm just going to cite them very quickly. But Jesus is there. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about all the things that are going to happen. And his disciples are kind of scratching their heads. And they come to him and say, well, Jesus, what are going to be the signs? What are going to be the things that we'll be able to see to know that the end is near? And Jesus reels off this long list of very terrible things, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, etc., etc., all of the things that we see in the newspapers today. And after all of that, Jesus gives them this promise. Matthew 24, 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Why? As a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So so, so that's a promise from the lips of the sovereign ruler and king of the universe who says, this gospel is going to be preached. He doesn't say, man, we're hoping that's going to happen. Or, you know what, if everything goes right, this is what will be. He says, this gospel will be preached. And so there are days where we just cling to that promise. And we say, this is going to happen. But that day has not yet come, right? 
There are billions of people that live among unreached peoples that have little or no access to the gospel. But we know because Jesus has said this that this will be fulfilled. And we could look at Revelation chapter 7 and we could see the future fulfillment of that promise from Matthew 24. What Jesus said is going to come to pass. I'm going to read from you Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and verse 10. And and so that's the past promise and this is the future fulfillment. And so Jesus gives John, his disciple, his apostle, he gives him a vision of things that are going to come to pass. And here's what he says in Revelation 7, verse 9 and verse 10. John, try to imagine this, right? He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. A sea of humanity is there. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And they're standing before the throne and they're standing before the Lamb. And they're clothed with white robes and they have palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine that, right? John sees the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. The, the sea of humanity, a people that he can't even number from every tribe, from every nation, from every person, from every people, from every language, and all of them are there clothed in white robes, signifying that they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Salvation is the theme of their worship, and they're there worshiping God, they're there worshiping Jesus, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, John saw you there. John saw me there by God's grace because of the finished work of Christ. That is going to happen. But we're not there yet. We're somewhere in between the promise and the fulfillment. Okay, We're somewhere between this glorious picture that we have in Revelation chapter 7 and the promise that Jesus has made in Matthew 24. And every single thing that Jesus is doing in human history is pushing us towards what we see in Revelation chapter 7. I mean, that's glorious. So how do we get there, right? How do we get from the promise to the fulfillment? The answer is, it's missions, right? There's a passage that you guys know. You guys are engaged, right? So I'm preaching to the choir. But there's a passage that you guys know that Jesus gave in Matthew 28. He tells us and he tells his followers, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, you go. And when you go, what do you do? You proclaim, you make disciples. And after someone comes to faith, you baptize them and you teach them. Okay? You equip them so that they might be a disciple-making disciple. And so Jesus' plan is the same, whether it's Senegal or Jerome. He wants disciple-making disciples that change the world with the gospel. Okay? God's plan for missions is simple. To turn the world upside down with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that is not easy to do. You guys know that in Jerome. We know that in Senegal. Okay? One of our reality check verses, and, and this is our theme verse for our region in West Africa, is 1 Corinthians 16.9. There Paul writes, and he says this, For a great and effective door has opened to me. 
Great news, right? Uh, great, Paul says he's in, uh, he's in Ephesus. He's writing to the Corinthians. He says, a great and effective door has opened to me. That means more people, more ministry opportunities. People are interested in the gospel. People are coming to faith. A great and wide door is opened. And then he says this, and there are many adversaries. That is always true, okay? Those two things go together every single time, right? Great and effective doors of ministry are opening here. They're opening in West Africa. And that always comes with not just a few adversaries. That always comes with with many adversaries. Why? Because the enemy desires to work where God is at work. The enemy does not want the light of the gospel to penetrate the spiritual darkness of this world. And, And so he fights tooth and nail, not desiring to cede any ground. So that means... That the completion of the great, command, uh, great Commission is going, to be, is going to be difficult. And I would argue the completion of the Great Commission will call for sacrifice for all of God's people. Okay? Not some. It will call for sacrifice for all of God's people and suffering for some of God's people. Comfortable living will not change the world with the gospel. Okay? God is most glorified. He is most glorified when his people live to prove and live as an evidence that Jesus Christ is the supreme treasure of everything. God is most glorified when his people pour their lives out in the global purposes that he has for his creation, for his glory, to show that Jesus is the treasure of their lives. And so that means that some people are going to suffer. That means that all of us must sacrifice. And let me assure you that your brothers and sisters in West Africa, they are ready to suffer. They are ready to sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. I'll share at the very end a story of some folks who have given much for the cause of the gospel. But they believe the gospel's worth it. Okay? They believe that lost people, they, they matter to God. And they believe that any sacrifice or any, any suffering is worth it because Jesus is worth it. So in our text here in Hebrews chapter 13, you guys know the book of Hebrews. All throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer is wanting to show how all of the Old Testament sacrifices pointed towards Jesus, the Messiah, who would be the once for all sacrifice for sins. And so when we arrive here in chapter 13, especially in verses 10... And in verse 11, he's starting to make an analogy between the way that the sacrifices were carried out and Jesus having been crucified outside the city. And so look with me at verse number 10 and verse number 11. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. There's a lot that we could say here, but he's referring to the Day of Atonement. And so this would have been like the climax of all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament system. And there would have been a sacrifice that would have been made for the sins of the people for that year. The blood is taken into the most holy place. It's sprinkled on the mercy seat. And atonement is made for their sins. And then they take the carcass of that sacrifice and they take it outside the camp. Okay? And it's taken outside the camp and it's burned out there. And this seems strange and different to us. But in the Old Testament, everything was done in a special way. And they wanted to keep some things holy. And there were some things that were defiled. There were some things that were clean. There were some things that were unclean. 
And the, at the end, that sacrifice that was left, that carcass that was left from the sacrifice, it was unclean and taken outside to be burnt. And look at what he says now in verse number 12. He says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And so Jesus' sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice for sins on the cross, it wasn't made in the temple, it was made outside the city gates. It wasn't made in the, in the holy place, it wasn't made in the, in the sanctified place. Jesus was crucified outside the gates, between two criminals, away from what's clean, in the dirt and the mire and the filth of a suffering world. But, but here's where this comes together for us is verse number 13. He says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. Jesus was crucified away from the good and the clean and, and the pleasant things. Outside the gate, outside the camp. Okay? And so, so what does that mean for us? Go to him outside the camp. What, what, what is this outside the camp that we're supposed to go to? I believe that it means that we move away from safety, that we move away from sanctity, that we go out where things are risky, where things might seem dirty, where things might be unknown, where where, where we're not as safe nor as comfortable as we may desire to be. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. We don't go out into the world to do ministry and to share the gospel and find that he's, he's coming with us. He's already there, right? Go forth to him outside the camp. I take that to mean let's go to the place where there's no more comfort. Let's go to the place where there's no more safety. Let's get out of the religious sanctuary and let's go where Jesus already is. Let's join him in the risky places, the dangerous places, the dirty places, because Jesus is always there where the most need is. Go forth, go forth to him. It's a great, it's a great comfort to us to know that we don't go to Senegal, we don't go into West Africa and, and go alone. Okay, we go with the backing of God's people, but Jesus is already there. He's there in the muck and, and, and the mire of real life. He's there where real needs already exist. And so if you want to walk close to Jesus, you will walk close to him outside the camp because that's where Jesus is. He's the one that will never leave us nor forsake us, and he's the one that is already there. But there's something else that happens in verse 13. If you go forth to him outside the camp, you will bear his reproach. So when people come to faith in Christ in our context, okay, we tell them ahead of time, you are going to lose everything. Okay? If you want to follow Jesus, you will lose everything. Okay? But you will gain Christ, and he's the treasure of the universe. Okay? So, so you're going to lose absolutely everything this life has to offer you. Okay? You're, you're probably going to lose your job. You're going to lose your standing in the village. Your family is going to say that you've died to them. You're going to lose all of these things, but you gain Jesus who is the treasure of the universe. Therefore, you have everything. And this life will be hard, but you're no longer living for this life. You're living for the life to come. And Jesus promises that he's there. I think the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us, if you want to walk with Jesus, you move away from comfort and you move toward need. 
Okay? I mean, that's the Christian life. The Christian life being sold out for the global purposes of Christ. You move away from comfort and you move toward need. And I promise you, okay, I believe this with all of my heart, that eternity will prove that any sacrifice or even any suffering that you might be called to make for the cause of Christ, eternity will prove that that is worth it. Imagine that scene from Revelation 7, right? Imagine that scene with with this vast sea of humanity. Everyone's praising Jesus Christ. Imagine being there in that scene and thinking, you know what, I wish I would have sacrificed a little less. Or, Or I wish I would have played it a little safer with my Christianity. Or I wish I would have been a little bit more, a little bit less committed, maybe. And I wish I would have maybe kept more for myself and given less. There's not a chance you're going to think that. Because houses and careers and money and comfort and everything else that is not Jesus gets swallowed up in a scene like Revelation chapter 7. Okay? That's what we were saved to live for. Now you might be tempted to think, right? You're talking about sacrifice and suffering for the sake of the gospel. I thought, I thought God wanted his, his children to be blessed, right? You're talking about sacrifice and maybe even suffering. And, and, and I think God wants me to be blessed. And I would scream a thousand times, yes, he wants you to be blessed. And he wants you to be blessed so much that he wants to rip away all of those ties that you have to this world so that you might live exclusively for his glory in the enjoyment and pleasure of the treasure that Jesus is. God's blessing for you is not to feed your idolatry, right? Okay? It, it, it's, it's not to help you enjoy the gifts that he gives you. It's to help you see that the ultimate gift that you have is Jesus Christ and knowing God by him. That's real life. That's how God blesses his people. So God uses the sacrifice of his people. Sometimes he uses the suffering of his people for the cause of the gospel and to advance the gospel. Man, there's a lot more stuff that we could say here, but time is fleeting. And so we'll look at verse number 14. The writer of Hebrews says, For here, in this life, right, here we have no continuing city, but what do we do? We seek the one that is to come. Okay? So, so we no longer live for this world. In this world, we, we live as a sojourner and we don't live as a settler. Okay? We don't start putting down roots here in this world. We live as if we're just, we're just passing through. Now, by God's grace, we've been staying with Dan and Pam while we're here in Jerome, and they are fantastic hosts. We're very thankful for that. But imagine if, when we got home this afternoon, we leave tomorrow, we leave their house tomorrow, imagine if we told them, you know what, we love our bedroom, it's very great, Um, you know, it's very cozy, but if the walls were just a different color, I think it would be better. And therefore, we have a painter that's coming in this afternoon, and he's going to paint the walls. And as we were sitting here hanging out, I thought, ah, if I only had my own recliner in the front room, I think that would be better. And so we went to the recliner store, and we got a new recliner, and that's going to be delivered. And you know what? The temperatures are heating up in the afternoon. How about an in-ground pool out back? Wouldn't that be fantastic? And so if we proposed all of these things... Pam would probably say, like, okay, let's go ahead and do that. But she would think, you guys are nuts. Why? Because we're not staying. We leave tomorrow. Why would we do that in a place that we're just, that we're just passing through? We're sojourners. 
But we do that in this life, right? We start to put down roots, and this place starts to feel like home. But the writer of Hebrews tells us we have no continuing city here, okay? We're just passing through this place. And our heart must be set on the city, on the place to come. Because a settler moves towards comfort, and a sojourner moves toward need. He moves toward need because he realizes this is not my home that's here. So because Jesus paid the once-for-all sacrifice for sins outside the camp, he calls us to go to him outside the camp to bear his reproach, to live not like this world is our home, but the world to come. And then he gives us two things that we're to do towards two different people, first to God and then towards others. Verse 15, this is our response towards God. Therefore, by him, this is by Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so what do we do as we live outside the camp? We're filled to overflowing with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with praise towards God for everything that he's done for us in Christ. That's our response towards God. And then we also have a response towards others, and that's seen in verse 16. He says, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So what do we do? What is our posture towards others? We do good, right? We share. This shows that we're living outside the camp. So to wrap up, what does all this look like? Okay, What does a life lived outside the camp look like? And I'll give you an illustration from our context in West Africa. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Mickey, like, don't, we won't put this, Lord willing, on the internet or anything like that. And I'll share a story with you uh, that's a little bit sensitive in nature, okay? And every single one of them is convinced that the gospel is worth it because the gospel's worth it. Jesus is the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for you. Jesus is inviting you to go to him outside the camp, to leave comfort and join him neck deep in the need of this world. And he promises you that he will be there. And he promises that he will be with you and he will be for you. And he promises that he will give you every single thing that you need to accomplish his will in your life, in reaching your neighbors and the nations with the gospel. He's inviting you to be a pilgrim In this life, he's inviting you to to praise and thanksgiving, to do good and to share. And so the question that we were left with this morning, the question I'm asking myself is, what do I need to do in my life to live outside the camp? That, That will probably look different for us than it might be for you. But Jesus's call is for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, it's not possible to to read a passage like that and not be moved by your Spirit. And Lord, you, you are so good and you love your children so much and you love your creation so much and it's by your grace that you save us and it's even by your grace that you call us to go to Christ outside the camp, that you give us something to do, that you give a call to each of us to have our part in what you're doing in the world. And so, Lord, I pray for me in my own heart, and I pray for my brothers and sisters, that this morning you would clarify in the life of each and every one of us what it is that you're calling us to do, to live for your glory, 
God, what it is that you're calling us to do as we, as we get away from comfort, as we move toward need, that what, what do we need to root out of our lives so that we might live as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, and not as a settler in this life? Lord, I thank you for these, your people. Glorify your name among them. Glorify your name among the nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.